What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The drought is over. Norwich City scoring four goals to get their promotion push very much back on track. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We also come into you as ever on Future Radio 107.8 FM. I'm Dave Freezer and joined by Paddy Dabbitt and Connor Southwell to look back on well, as every, I think everyone has used the phrase, it's just what the doctor ordered, really. Uh, chat, how are you to, to start with, Paddy? Uh, a snowy week. What did your little man make of uh, of his first uh, sight of snow? Uh, he's pretty nonplussed, to be fair, mate. He's only <laughs> coming up nine months. So we did get him out in the garden, um, and then we realised we don't have any proper footwear for him quite yet. It fits his feet. Um, so we had to sort of almost put bin bags on his feet. Not quite, but uh, there's disease. <laughs> I won't go into it because it's very boring, but, uh, but there's these... Uh, plasticated thing you can put over his socks or whatever so yeah no that was good <laughs> that was good but uh but other than that the big drama in our house was um for what i told you before the game was the boiler decided to pack up friday night which Just is not what you need not what you need when it's minus whatever outside and you got a nine month fold in the house so thankfully we had some storage heaters but it transpired it wasn't actually the boiler it was again very boring for anybody who's not bothered about uh, Arctic weather impacting on boilers. You didn't do you didn't tune in to listen to this, but you're gonna have to anyway. But uh it was the condenser pipe outside that was basically frozen, you know, it kinda had icicles coming off it. Because I mean what we've had, we've had about a week of not not much above zero, have we, during the day and overnight. So um the high tech solution was to get a boiling kettle of water and pour it on the pipe and lo and behold the the boiler fired into I wish I'd have known that at eleven o'clock on Friday night as opposed to night. <laughs> 9am Saturday morning, but it wasn't too bad. Uh, plenty of blankets and, like I say, storage heaters. So, yeah, my brush with this cold snap is not a very pleasant one. And particularly yesterday, boys, I don't know what you thought, but that was my feet took until about 9 o'clock last night to thaw out. I know we're in a privileged position. Don't get me wrong. We'll get that straight out there. But uh, that was bone-chillingly cold yesterday. So it was good to see some attacking football to warm us up. There you go. There's your link. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, if we'd have had a nil-nil yesterday, I think we'd have been uh, a bit stressed. I, I genuinely think that might be the coldest football match that I've covered. I, I, I mean, I, I've done lots of football matches. I, when I was a junior reporter, sort of back in what two thousand nine or something, I remember doing when I worked at the Scunthorpe Telegraph. Um, I got sent out for whatever reason. We did like a, a youth supplement, and there was a it was a girls county cup final, but like under tens or something. But there was like a, a nice line to it that my bo- my sports editor at the time had, had liked, and um, it was hammering down with snow, and they didn't postpone it. So these poor little girls are still running around playing football. And I thought that was that's the one that always stuck in my mind as the coldest. But that was that was really tough. I mean, Connor, my phone said it was minus. It felt like minus five. So 
I think I think actually this does have a an, uh, something to do with there not being fans in the stadium, doesn't it? The football stadiums when they're empty are just so cold. Yeah, well, I I used to notice it more when fans were in and then they left the stadium and you're sort of sat in the stand pretty much by yourself and that's that's when you really sort of felt it. But yeah, I'm I'm the same. Yesterday I had two pairs of socks on, one of which was um, a thermal pair, um, thermals underneath my my clothes anyway, and still was frozen. And on top of that, I've forgotten a glove, so I'm I'm kind of um, doing my job looking a bit like Michael Jackson with with one glove on, which um, isn't, oh, yeah. isn't isn't the best <laughs> situation. So. So uh, my right hand's nice and, and warm and my left hand's absolutely frozen. I did think about doing a half of each, but Norwich were turning up at half time. So I thought if I change it and they um, they can see two, then people are going to start absolutely hammering me. So uh, maybe I don't know if this is, I'm not really a superstitious person, but maybe the, the one glove is the way to go now. And that means that Norwich are going to score four goals at home every week. So maybe that's the plus side to look at it. But yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't ideal at all, really. Connor, Michael Jackson, Southwell. Well, here we are, boys. Valentine's Day, just like we were two years ago, Pad, spending it together. Uh, not not in an Airbnb in Chorley this time around, but thankfully we've got... Yeah, Dave, have you got your rose petals, though, to rev- revive memories of Berry 20, whatever it was, 18, 2019? The rose petals and the heart-shaped wine glasses. Yeah, that, that was an epic Facebook Live, wasn't it? Uh, one very much for the football purists. Um, and, and the hardcore pink and following, of course, we'll know what we're talking about. Uh, in, during our stay in Chorley, which was between what was it games at Preston and Bolton within the space of three days, so that that was a that was a fun Valentine's Day. But yes, uh, a bit of a bromance, really, Pad. In terms of footballing terms, um, Emmy Buendia absolutely loving the fact that he could sort of be there for Timu Puki. And when I spoke to him after the game, said as much. Said he's my best partner ever, which flowed very nicely into the Valentine's Day theme. But Genuinely, that second goal when Pookie put Norwich Hill up and, and ended that run of uh, eight games without a goal in open play, it looked like it meant a real big deal to him, didn't it? Oh, it did, yeah. I mean, particularly the Paul Chester and our photographer extraordinaire has got a great frame of the celebration. And he, and he, he I mean, I used it on, on my pointers. He looks very emotional, uh, almost bur- burying his head in, in the sort of nape of Emmy Buendia's neck. So, so as not to maybe <laughs> show, show anybody how emotional he was. It was a yeah, it was a bit of a, bit of a t- step back moment for me when I saw that because, and then when Daniel Farker talked afterwards about how he'd never seen him at trainings put so much time into his finishing and extra shooting practice during the week. And, and then you just think, well, you put those two together, those two uh, Im- uh, images slash what Daniel had to say and maybe underlines how heavy it would have weighed on, on that man because, you know, ultimately it is a team game, but if a team isn't scoring, where do we start looking? We start looking at the striker. And that's pretty unfair to him, probably, because he hasn't had a great amount of service. Buendia, obviously, unavailable for, for two two uh, two games, 30 minutes against Middlesbrough. But it, it did feel like a weight had been lifted by his reaction. Um, and, and it was great to see as well, because, you know, it can't be easy for him. Um, you know, my mind goes back to Swansea in a very tight game where you need to take your chances. And he had, a, for him, a very good chance when Todd Cantwell slipped him through and, he, and he's pulled it wide and... Then Norwich subsequently go on to lose the game, creating their own sort of downfall, really. And and you can imagine that night, the day after, he's mulling over that chance. You know, if I score that at nil nil, it's a different game. Maybe Norwich go on and win that game. Um, and 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 he's had a lot of time to stew on that, and clearly has tried to do what he could do in terms of on the training pitch. But to actually go out there, then I mean, let's be honest, it was a pretty regulation finish, and 
owed everything to Emi Buendia serving it up to him, but they all can. doesn't matter, you know, whether it's 25 yards out top corner or he's rolling one in pretty much open goal, really. And then his penalty on top as well. It was a very confident, composed penalty. And, and I just hope we'll get into it in more depth. But of all the strands about, yes, Norwich have finally got their mojo back, if you want to use that phrase, in the final third yesterday, of all of those for the, the weeks and games ahead, Timu Puki getting back on the short score sheet could be the biggest of them all because, you know, we know how reliant they are on him and how how important it is that he's scoring goals and how important he is to that team. And if he can now get on a nice little run, then I think, hopefully, we're, we're, we're looking back on what was only a three-game three game sort of scoreless rut, if you want to call it that. Probably too strong to say rut, but, but certainly a three-game fallow period for the team because... Um, there's no doubt if him and obviously Buendia and Cantwell remain in that type of form, then uh, I'd say to the rest of the division, watch out. Absolutely. Um, uh, we'll probably come back round to a, a lot more Buendia stuff, I would imagine, because that you know Daniel brought him straight back into the team, as everyone expected, but did bring a new list back at left-back in place of Laura, uh, Jacob Sorensen uh, and Mario Vrancic also back into midfield, re- replacing Lucas Rupp and going into that number 10 role. But um, just nice and early, I really wanted to lay down a marker, Connor, that um, Todd Cantwell really took the ball by the horns and opened this game up, didn't he? And I, I thought it was a, both a, a mature moment because he was there when his team needed him, broke any kind of stoke resistance nice and early, stopped them from being able to part the bus or anything like that with what was some really excellent skill. And um, all right, maybe a little bit of luck in there. I think it's actually a Stoke defender which prods it mm. to to Ranchich, but a lovely finish, wasn't it? Yeah, I've watched. I've watched a goal back in full today. It's actually a really, really good team goal. It, it goes yeah. all the way pretty much back to to Tim Krul and and back up the pitch again. There's a, a really good moment in there from Ollie Skip where he drives pretty much to halfway and forces the play up and, and squeezes the game. And from there, it's all Todd Campwell. And we've been talking, I think, for for weeks, maybe with the exception of Cardiff away, about him needing to take a bit more responsibility in terms of his contributions in the final third and. Um, when we've spoken about Norwich's sort of attacking issues more generally, we've spoken about the need to change the tempo. And that was all of those things. It was it was slick. He has the confidence to beat two defenders. And, and that's the quality that he has in his locker. And as it always comes back to with with Campwell, it's it's going to be about consistency and, and showing it on a bit of a better level. I know there have been some question marks. I didn't actually feel he was he was too bad at Swansea. I felt he was probably one of better Norwich's better performers in terms of actually trying to make something happen. And um, it, it stems back to this maturity point for me. He looks like a player who is maturing in front of our eyes, which is really good to see, I think, after maybe the, the debacle of last summer and whatnot. And um, it, it just goes to show how talented he is. And, and for all the talk about him, Buendia, and sadly, I think he's, he's probably going to get overshadowed this week. It was a, a really good goal and a really important goal for Norwich as well, because it was the, the one that broke that sort of drought, if you like, wasn't it? The one that's maybe got the confidence back and flowing. And um, it, it all comes from a really good bit of movement. He's on the right side and, and arguably it's not really where he's supposed to be. And, um, and then he has the creativity, the imagination and the quality ultimately to carve open a very solid experienced Stoke side with um, not just a, a mazy run and maybe, as you say, gets a bit of luck, but also a really good finish as well, really composed. They're difficult ones when um, you're kind of on the angle like that to strike it in, in the um, in the near corner to with the power and the pace that he did. It was, um, it was, it was a really good goal and that kind of got Norwich rolling really. And um, I, I think the fact we saw more of him yesterday and of course as the man that we'll come on to, um, it, it goes to show, I think, why they were a lot better offensively. And, and I don't think this um, 
improved attacking performance is a coincidence given that they've had a week on the training pitch and Daniel Fark has been able to um, maybe coach them a lot better. He's a lot of uh, ways. Well, he's, he's vocal um, on, on the yeah. touchline yesterday, yeah, wasn't he? He was instructing his players when to press and constantly as fullbacks to get in higher positions. And I'm sure we'll come on to sort of the defensive mishaps as well if you like and that was that was kind of a, a factor because of how high they pushed the fullback so I haven't looked at like a positional map or anything like that but I'd imagine they were probably like wingers Max Aarons and Janulis yesterday and that helps um, Norwich so good for Campwell good for Norwich and um, yeah hopefully it's the start of him finding a little bit of consistency in his game because we've seen the maturity and um, yeah now it's time for for the consistency to arrive as well. Yeah, I mean, that's three goals and three assists for Todd. So he's going to want to get those stats up a fair bit before the end of the season, I'd imagine, if he's going to have a have a good chance of, you know, generating proper interest in the summer. If if he if that's, you know, where his career is and stuff at the summer, that can probably be part to a little bit. But he's got a real show reel now, hasn't he? The goals he scored for Norwich are, are really quite attractive. And having seen him come through the academy ranks, and I've, there's been flashes this season where, that phrase that I used earlier, taking the ball by the horns, that's what he used to do for the under 18s, under 23s, where he was good enough that he could just say, right, I'm taking control of this game. I'm going to force this goal. I'm going to smack it in from 20 yards or whatever. And he's doing that in fits and spurts for the first team now. So if he can, as Daniel Farker talked about recently, find that consistency, which hopefully comes as you mature as a player, then he really has got an exciting career ahead of him. Um, Pad, we're also talking... Um, in, in the wake of you having a chat with, with Stuart Webber midweek and he uh, talked a bit about the sort of interest in the, in the crown jewels, didn't he? And there was a, lo a lot of interesting lines in there, but the sort of reality line was that the only interest in January was actually in, in Max Aaron's, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, unnamed overseas club, given he was linked to Barcelona, well, more than linked, they actually picked the phone up to Stuart Webber in the summer. Um, he was linked to Bayern Munich, PSG. I mean, literally, Pick, pick the blue chip clubs around Europe and uh, and then link them to Max Aarons. I mean, domestically, Manchester United and Tottenham continue to be linked as they were all through January. But in terms of tangibles, yeah, there was a phone call uh, from an overseas club. And, and as Stuart told it in, in the piece, which is, you know, you can consume it on pinkin.com or YouTube channel we've got, um, that it wasn't right. And that really echoed what Daniel had said all through January when it was the endless speculation around Arsenal and then we go end the other. Um, January isn't the time when this is going to happen. It doesn't make any sense for any of the parties. I thought Daniel was added to that on Friday when, when we obviously put it to him what Stuart had said that also it didn't, it wasn't right for Max Aaron's. It, that, that was cl clearly what came across and that he was fully in, in the loop and, uh, you know, at no point was, was he being cut out of whatever negotiations took place. Um, but Max Aarons himself feels here and now it isn't the right time. Daniel spoke about, and you could apply this to what Emmy or to Todd, that, you know, the summer there will be more offers and there'll be more opportunities and there maybe will be an offer that comes along that for the player, irrespective of the selling club and the buying club, but makes sense for the player. And if so, then it's about can the two clubs get on the same wavelength? And, and you know, I increasingly think irrespective of what league Norwich are in, they will find it very hard to keep all three of those players. I think that's the reality of it. Um, Stuart Webber said previously about James Madison, there will come a point where he will outgrow Norwich. And I think we'll, we'll get to that point with those three players. And that's not a reflection on Norwich. It's more realism about where Norwich are, what they're striving to be, what they're trying to do, bridge the, the gap between the divisions and stay in the Premier League. But ultimately... 
as Stuart also said last week, look at Ben Godfrey. He's gone to a club with European aspirations. They've got one of the best managers in the world in charge. They're talking about moving to a new stadium. They really are looking to get back to where Everton were in decades past. That's an opportunity that, unfortunately, was too good for Ben Godfrey and the money made sense from Norwich. Those scenarios play out again in the summer. Alas, I feel it'll probably be the same conclusion. And if it is, certainly with Max Ahrens, I don't think any Norwich fan could begrudge him a move uh, because he could have probably kicked off and have probably made life very difficult in the summer. Didn't do that. Even in January, you know, he might have had his head turned. Didn't do that. It's a complete credit to that man and the advisors and the family he's got around him that he knows he's in the best place right here, right now. Keep playing games. And I thought he was very good yesterday. Connor's right. Him and Yunulis, for me, I've written about it. That, that for me, was Lewis and Aaron's in the title-winning season. High, wide, so important to have Daniel Farker wants to set his teams up. And it's probably the first time I think I've looked this season and thought, yeah, that is very, very similar to what we what we had two years ago when they were too hot for most of the division. So um, I'd like to see a bit more of that. Yeah, so I'm sure we'll get into, you know, this is uh, horrendous to, to, to use Daniel's term, square pass or horizontal pass, as Daniel called it, for, for Stokes' goal. But that aside, capped by his assist, I thought we also saw what he can offer in an attacking sense. Uh, and if he and Max on the other side continue in that vein, Again, I think teams need to now watch out because it, it felt to me like Norwich slipped a, a gear yesterday and it wasn't just about a week's training to prepare and no travel and no midweek and the, the physical aspect of that. It almost felt as if uh, just in terms of, you know, maybe Daniel's released the shackles a little bit and, and, and that was why we got on Friday. I thought, you know, in terms of the left-backs, Jacob Sorensen, right now you're a centre midfielder. I want two attack-minded, left-sided fullbacks who can bite, fight it out for that position because it, it's clear to me that Daniel has arrived at the conclusion that it's something has to change in terms of Norwich's productivity in the final third. And that is partly moving the ball quicker, which they did again yesterday. But also I think it's the template with the two fullbacks and really, as Connor said, almost playing them as wingers. Um, and underpinning that yesterday, obviously Stoke played their part because they did try and take Norwich on. They didn't come here and park a bus. They tried to take Norwich on, which created opportunities and space for Norwich to exploit. There won't be every team between now and the end of the season will adopt similar tactics. But I, I still feel even against teams whose almost a point to prisoner attitude, I still think if you've got your new list and Aaron's playing as progressively as that, more often than not, Norwich will find a way because they have too much quality if they're moving the ball as quick as they did yesterday. Yeah. Well, um, let's come back round to Emmy then, who did help me warm up at least because he wanted to do his post-match interview about two <laughs> minutes after the final whistle, didn't he? So quickly saw some you move, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I got away from the press officer and had to run down the stairs and, and not trip over in front of everyone, but made it in time. Um, so there's already some of that stuff out there post-match, which is talking about his relationship with Pookie and the win. But also Monday morning, keep an eye out, talking about the lessons he's learned from that red card, of course, the recent red card and uh, that. Uh, bigger issue for him and, and some, some really uh, telling stuff and, and hopefully comes across as quite mature but that's eight goals seven assists in 23 championship games this season um, I know some stats websites count penalties one as assists I personally don't think that should be the case 
you know, Joe Allen stupidly chops him down. Yes, I don't really think you can claim that as an assist personally, uh, although I know some stats websites do. But that's as many goals as he scored in 2018-19 when, of course, he was such a good player. Uh, was he in the championship team of the season, wasn't he? Oh, no, Brendan wasn't, was he? It was Lewis, Aarons and Pukki who were in the team of the season. But, of course, was, was brilliant for Norwich. So he has shown how much he has developed as a player. But, Connor, it was just... When he's playing like that, and it should be said as well quite early that this was a frenetic game. It could have been a different scoreline, couldn't it? It could have been 4-3, 5-4, anything really, if, if Stoke had actually taken some of the chances Norwich gave to them. But the heartbeat of it, the star of the show, and and everyone from a Norwich perspective being able to enjoy it, is just seeing Amy Buendia play like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and it's, it's as simple, I think, as, as that when he's, plays in that manner Norwich City win and I don't think there's there's any sort of debate for that and Norwich aren't a one-man team and, and and not because you have to with that kind of creativity and um, brilliance you also need the the sort of the grit that is provided by Ben Gibson by Grant Hanley by um, Ollie Skip you need that balance and he just provides that but crucial for me as much as we'll I'm sure talk about in, in the next five minutes or so about his, his technical brilliance it's, it's his industry as well that they've missed it's the way he presses the intensity of, of his game the way he can change the tempo um, effortlessly in the final third I mean look look at the second goal it all comes from him really um, really pressing Morgan Fox and forcing a mistake and then having the composure and the technical quality to lay it across and that's why for as much as we bemoan the red cards and we label him as naive, you need him to play on that knife edge because that is that is kind of the the benefit of it, and and that is kind of what makes him the player that he is. Um, and Norwich haven't been as aggressive and they haven't been as creative without him, and, and he is so important to what they do. Um, I, I think if being at Valentine's Day, there's, there's probably a lot of Norwich City fans that would like to write some sort of love letter to him, but um, he, he he's. <laughs> He's just brilliant. And I know you mentioned him not being in, in player of the year two years ago. He will be this time. I, I don't think there's any debate about that. I'd be shocked if he doesn't win the player of the season award for Norwich as well. And um, it's becoming increasingly difficult and people won't want to have this sort of conversation in February, but it's very difficult to see how he's a Norwich City player next year for me, regardless of if they get promoted, because um, I think he's he's probably at a level now where we can probably consider him better than maybe James Madison was when he was at Norwich, which is um, quite a statement to make. So uh, it's so important to what they do. Ensuring that he stays on the pitch, as Daniel said, is going to be so crucial, I think, between now and the end of the season to which way it goes. But as Pad said, with him, with Timo Pukki, with Todd Campwell um, delivering, hopefully, the kind of goal that we saw yesterday as well, that's quite a terrifying prospect for teams. And I know we've kind of spoken about their lack of creativity in recent weeks, if, if they can keep those three fit, in form and firing, then um, they, they'll be a force to be reckoned with for the remainder of the season. I've, I've got absolutely no doubt about that, but they're a better side with him in it. It's up to him now to learn from from his red card mistakes and make sure he channels that industry and that aggression in the right way, like we saw yesterday, um, and, and gets that maturity across as well. So still some more to come from him in terms of development, in terms of mentality, but you can't deny his brilliance, I don't think. Yeah, um, it should be pointed out as well that Brentford did take top spot in midweek. First time in almost three months that Norwich have been knocked off the, the top of the table. Uh, they're in great form, but we're recording ahead of their game against Barnsley. They're at home uh, Sunday afternoon. Um, but I, I think really where Norwich are, that doesn't matter. 
we don't don't doesn't really matter what Brentford do, whether they reclaim top spot. It's about trying to push clear of third place, and they've been helped a little bit by Swansea's game at uh, Sheffield Wednesday being postponed, haven't they? So they've now got games in hand at Wednesday and Blackburn to squeeze into to a busy schedule. Um, so from that point of view, um, we shall see. But as as I mentioned, Pad, uh, this there were some hairy moments in this game, weren't there? It wasn't like um, I think I think the score I maybe. Um, maybe is a little bit more comfortable than it actually was because Stoke were in the game. They did cause Norwich problems and Norwich did certainly cause themselves some problems along the way as well, didn't they? Grant Hanley and, and Kenny McLean in particular. Yeah, that's a f- fair assessment. Yeah, I mean, either side for me of, of the half... T- well, I say either side, probably a good 15, 20 minutes either side of half time. They were as good as Norwich, I thought, as an attacking force. And... Um, yeah, Stephen Fletcher with his aerial threat, uh, very difficult to subdue him completely, winning flick-ons and disallowed goal, the correct decision, headed goal, clearly offside uh, for the for the break. And uh, But yeah, I mean, the, the way they got back in was, touched on it already, you know, just uh, you can't believe you've seen it type of moment, really, that, um, you know, particularly for a, a January signing keen to impress, that isn't the impression you're looking to make, you know, to cut back inside and play a ball, Daniel called it 30-yard ball across his own box. As if he would if he'd have wanted to pick out Nick Powell, he couldn't have executed that pass any better. He's clearly looking for Max Aaron's and <laughs> I don't know he just looked down and at the moment he's played the ball, he just hasn't seen Powell's movement. But um tidy finished as well. You know, Tim Krull came out quick, but he just calmly slotted it. Uh, but that came after Kenny McLean had done something very similar and very, was very fortunate to not escape with, with a similar punishment where he just literally turned back towards his own goal and played in Stephen Fletcher. Um, I've no idea what either of those players are thinking there. I mean, Daniel, after the game, tried to uh, try to mitigate and, and talked about the pitch and having to take more care with their passing and maybe you lose a little bit of spatial awareness. But I think he's been very generous to both of those. It was just a complete brain freeze given the cold weather. Maybe that was the factor. Um, and at that stage, when it goes 2-1, you do fear, you know, off the back of a three or four game spell where Norwich have found it very difficult to grind out wins, um, that that was what was we were set for the final 30 minutes. But obviously within three minutes of Janoulis's horrendous pass, he's, uh, he's burst into the byline and cutting the ball back and Buendia's getting ahead of Mario to very, very good finish, sweeping it into the bottom corner on the half volley. So... Um, that was the game. You know, if, if Norwich hadn't got that third one as quick as they did, I think we'd have, you know, you'd, you'd still like to think Norwich would have had enough about them just to see out the win, but it would have been a far harder affair and we wouldn't have been quite as positive and not beat about Norwich are back, Norwich now are going to score goals and sweep teams aside. Um, and I, I thought that was credit to Stoke. You know, they put Norwich under pressure. They should have opened the scoring, in fact, just popped into my head. It literally within the first two minutes from that corner, in front of the Barkley, Obi Mikel unmarked six, seven yards out and has just very poorly sliced it off target. They're the fine margins. You know, if, if they go ahead then, then again, a bit like how Pookie missed that chance at Swansea, it's a different game and that's probably stating the obvious. But Norwich were very good um, at what they did yesterday, but they were probably aided by Stoke not being clinical enough because they certainly carved out opportunities, albeit in one or two instances with the aid of Norwich players. Um, and then Norwich just had a little bit of rubber green in those key moments. So, uh, yeah, you do need a little bit of that to get yourself back up and running. But um, by no means, I mean, it ends up a 4-1 and you think this is a very 
comfortable one-sided affair and Daniel thought it could have added a few more goals and that is true but I don't think it was a 4-1 in terms of how the game panned out it was very open it was all t- tweeting in the second half like a runaway train you know there was no control on the game at all Norwich it was literally a basketball type of game at that stage and, and hence why he wanted to get Lucas Rupp on the pitch I think just to try and douse sit down a little bit um, but ultimately they did what they had to do and uh, and we won't really probably when we move forward and if Norwich get to where they want to get to, we won't worry too much that Stoke certainly caused them a few problems. I think that's probably the nature of it now. I think, you know, they need to obviously, as Connor rightly said, commit bodies forward and be a bit aggressive now to try and start getting the goals they need and the wins they need. That might leave them a little bit more vulnerable now at the back between now and the end of the season. We might just have to accept that these games are going to be a little bit frayed around the edges rather than, as we've seen, Norwich have 70% of the ball, carve out 20 chances and literally it's just a, a flow from one end of Tim Krul's goal to the opposition goal. I don't think increasingly with the pressure and the expectancy that is now coming on these games because we've all experienced it two years ago. Um, it doesn't matter who they play now. They are going to be very tough affairs where you know teams will, will fancy their chances because they will look at that. I'm sure Coventry, for example, now their next opponent midweek Mark Robbins, he will look at how open Norwich were in, in phases of that game yesterday and will feel they can exploit it. Not They were very poor in the FA Cup commentary, but they were very good in the league here. So they won't think they can't get something out of the game. And that's possibly the gamble Daniel needs to take now, that if it's the risk and reward, that if, if you want to commit bodies forward and, and have an approach where you, you need to score goals and try and win games, they probably are going to be a little bit more vulnerable. And I think in that context... Ollie Skip becomes even more important a player. You saw yesterday some of his challenges. There was one sliding tackle in front of the dugouts in the second half to halt a counter. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The athleticism to cover the ground that that man shows and, and the maturity for a 20-year-old. Um, yeah, I think between now and the season, as much as it'll be Buendia and Countwell and Pookie, it might also be Ollie Skip as well. Yeah, I thought he was really excellent yesterday and he, he did go off a bit of an injury scare. And I had a look back at that this morning and we all thought he got concussion at first, didn't we? Because it was a bit of a collision in the box at a corner. But it, it looks to me that it's actually Ben Gibson that gets the whack to the head. And then, um, as Farker said after the game, Skip actually gets a finger in the eye or something. I think it might be Ben Gibson's finger which goes in. And because he looked dazed and a bit sort of wobbly on his feet, I think he was actually, he was just in a lot of pain, wasn't it? But um, at first it looked like he was concussed, but hopefully that's not going to be a a big problem for him. But you can see that they're really, you know, they've got a torch and they're shining in his eye and his eye looks really uh, like he's struggling a bit. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I was really pleased with the intensity that we saw from Norwich yesterday in possession there, um, the way that they were moving it quickly and that they knew that they needed that intensity. So although the scoreline did perhaps flatter them and could have been a, a tighter and, and maybe even more goals, I think Norwich were the better team and did deserve 
to get the three points as they did. I did want to mention on Kenny McLean as well. You mentioned his mistake. I think I first noticed this in a Scotland game. When he makes a mistake, when he gives away a ball, um, he does this sort of like nervous hop um, where he, he sort of like jumps on the spot like, oh no, what have I done? And he, he almost just sort of panics. And he does it, he did it again yesterday where he's, you can see in his mind, he literally thought, how the hell have I managed to just pass that to the player player? So um, yeah, that's quite funny. Watch out for that one. Um, let's come back to Yanulis, um, Connor, because as Pad teed up, it was a horrific error for their goal. Um, one of those moments where you want the ground to swallow you up, that sort of classic moment, isn't it? Where he, it was just 100% his fault. He knew it. But almost immediately, within four minutes, he gets that moment of redemption because he did really well for the third goal, didn't he? Yeah, and, it, and I think when a player makes a mistake like that, the response is always key because, as you say, some players will want the ground to swallow them up and others will get their head up and say, right, that's done, let's try and, and, and make up for it. And, and he kind of did that. And, and that's really positive, I think, particularly for his um, sort of development in the championship and for the rest of the season, there are going to be hard battles and there may be some more errors to come, but take that mistake out of it. And I actually thought it was probably his best performance for Norwich so far. So it's... It's it's a difficult one, and and um, Pad's right. There, there were moments where if if you'd have kind of not looked at it properly, you'd have thought it was Jamal Lewis and Max Aaron's um, on on either flank, which is again really positive for for how Norwich City want to play and and how their fullbacks get up. And um, yeah, it was a really a real test of resolve, I guess. And and I, I would imagine there would have been some Daniel Farker, maybe even Stuart Webber, looking at it the same. Right, he's he's made a mistake, and and that response is is going to be pivotal because. For his teammates, that's how you develop trust. Uh, the fact that they know that you, you're keen to um, make amends and and, um, and and keep your head up is so important, um, as I said, particularly in the Championship. So that was good. And I don't think we can sort of deny his attacking quality. I think there are clearly some moments defensively where perhaps there are a few more questions. Um, but in terms of his attacking quality, it's... It, he offered a real threat and, and Daniel Farker was constantly on him yesterday in terms of his position and wanting him to push higher. And um, as Paddy said, that does make it a little bit more risk and reward. And that does probably make him look um, questionable defensively because it always looks like he's in retreat. So it's it's difficult. And that trade-off is, is kind of um, a, a difficult one to strike because you have to get the best out of him offensively, but equally make sure that he's he's good enough defensively to do his job. So maybe he's still adapting to that, but it, it was a big step forward, um, step, big step forward, I think, compared to his performance against Millwall a couple of weeks ago, where um, he looked a bit like a rabbit in the headlights. So if he can provide that sort of performance more regularly, obviously minus the the error, then that's that's going to be really pivotal because this is a league of hard knocks. It is a really good humbling ground as well, regardless of where a player has come from and what sort of pedigree they have. And um, and and he will be now fully aware of that, I think, with the free experiences that he's had at this level. And um, hopefully we see a lot more of the assist than we do of the mistake in, in the weeks to come because I think a lot of people probably looked at that yesterday and, and, and definitely saw the talent that he has. Um, it's now about seeing it maybe similarly to to Todd Campbell a bit more consistently, albeit he's been in for three games and, and, and about him kind of stepping forward and, and, and showing what he can do for the remainder of the season. So yeah, big step forward, uh, but hopefully more to come as well. Yeah. And I, th- I thought Farker's body language on the sidelines right from early in the first half was quite unusual for him in that he was really barking orders right from the start, demanding a lot, 
Pookie and Vrancic felt his wrath at one point, didn't they? Because they weren't pressing properly. He was, you know, bickering with Buendia at one point. Farker was pumped for this one. They knew how important it was to get straight back on track because now you look at that set of results and it's just one defeat, isn't it? Two draws, one defeat, and now they're back on track. And if they kick on from here, as we'll come on to it shortly, um, then we probably won't look back on this little segment of the season um, too much. Overall then, Pad, um, looking at the table, uh, again, as I say, before the Brentford game, but um, five points clear of Swansea in third and 18 points clear of Cardiff in seventh. So Norwich are still in an excellent position, aren't they? And hopefully the injury situation is about to get even better unless something takes a turn for the worse because Jordan Hugill and Marcus Stephen are not, not too far away from joining back into the squad either. Um, to, to sort of move that along a little bit, what, what did you make of Mario Vrancic's performance coming back into the number 10 role? I, I did him for our player watch so you can read my thoughts at pinken.com and I, I, I thought he was pretty good, but he certainly wasted some chances to really have a big impact on the game. He did, but that for me, because I'm simply measuring it, we've talked at length about this in recent sort of pods um, and video shows that it's about assists and about goals in that 10 role. And we haven't seen, you know, we're talking about Emi Buendia's numbers and, and how stunning they are for an attacking midfielder. Um, and his, by comparison, I, I know we're near, but, but I mean, we had the back heel for Cantwell. Uh, Buendia should have scored, you know, from that little scoop pass um, when he rolled him in. First chance, pretty much for Norwich, where he sort of miscued it and Gunners paddled it away on the ground. That would have been another assist. Yes, he had a couple of opportunities. There was a there was a volley, I think, from an Aaron's cross, which was a bit of a tame effort straight at Gun. But um, I thought that was better, and I think it was better primarily because you know you had Wendy account well in a nice flow, and Pookie looked a lot sharper than he has done of late. And I think if he's got those options around him, and of course you know without labouring the point, you've got Aaron's and you've got Yanulis offering that whip as well. It's an easier game for him in that 10 role um, because he's able to knit together something a bit more productive than he has hitherto in that role. So for me, he he is now the, the 10. Um, Dal came on again towards the end. And on that point, you you were talking about, about resources. Yeah, I mean, Daniel basically said that him, Dal, Ida and Onel are now physically and fitness-wise at a level they could start games if he chose to throw them in. So... You know, the pressure will now start to come on Mario if he isn't producing goals and assists. I think we'll start to see a little bit more of Dal, Marco Stieperman, yeah, uh, him and Jordan Hugo uh, with a fair window. The next day or two should be back in team training, uh, probably not for the Coventry game, but certainly for the weekend coming. Um, and that's more options. And you saw yesterday's 18, no Poeta, no Bali Mumba, no Josh Martin. That is that is now the level of resource and strength in depth. And that's even before you get to adding Kugel and Steeperman to the mix. So he's got some serious decisions to make now, Daniel, moving forward, as long as, which you always have to put the caveat with Norwich in the Championship, uh, no more injuries uh, or no more, dare we say, in the current climate, any coronavirus-related issues. Thankfully, that looks to have been the last couple of rounds of testing, no, no positive cases. So you'd hope maybe that that's a positive sign moving forward on that aspect. But... There is no doubt, and Daniel made a very salient point that as much as we're praising those lads yesterday in the attacking areas, they can now look over to the bench yesterday and they can see Adamida if you're Pookie, you can see Dowell if you're Mario Vrancic, Buendia maybe to a lesser extent in Cantwell, but you can see on El Hernandez if he wants to do something slightly different in those wide areas. Then you add in Hugel, you add in Steeperman, 
those lads now in the eleven will know they have to perform because it isn't a case that Daniel really doesn't have any options to change the game. And that can only drive up the collective performance levels of Norwich in these next few games as well. So, yeah, it, it does feel everything is is maybe falling back, back their way, whereas for the last two or three weeks, it felt like maybe the wind was was in their faces a bit. So um, that is the championship peaks and troughs. And uh, and if that is the case, and, and really Daniel, for the first time this season, is pretty close to having a full-strength squad to pick from. They need to make the most of it because I, I do still think that's what gives them the edge over Brentford and Swansea. I think maybe pound for pound in terms of the starting 11s, there's not much between the three at the minute. Um, but I think in terms of the squad depth, there's no doubt in my mind, Norwich, far better squad than the other two teams. And and if they hit a little bit of adversity and, and some of their key players are out for any length of time, that's where maybe Norwich can make a little bit of ground on those two teams, I think. Yeah, if Brentford lost um, Tony, for instance, they they don't have that sort of squad depth. I mean, his stats are ridiculous, Tony. I think uh, he's got like nine assists as well as the 23 goals, isn't he? So he's having a heck of a season. I think they only paid about five million for him up front is, is ridiculous. <laughs> um, it could be worth a lot more down the road. But yeah, Connor, the one that, that stands out really is... Is Poheta not even making the squad a, a Poland international? Um, are you do you sort of go along with Pad there in terms of that you can't see the the team changing that Vrancic has got that that shirt for now, or would you not think he did quite enough? Um, yeah, I, I think it is his shirt at the minute. I think it's it's a difficult one because I think until either Kieran Dowell or maybe even Marco Steepman in the weeks to come. Um, put in a very good cameo off the bench where there's a goal or there's a contribution or there's an assist. I don't really think that they have a, a valid claim to make uh, for that 10 shirt at the moment. I mean, for, for all we're talking about Vrancic, it was still a very good assist yesterday to, for, for Campwell. So it's, um, it's difficult because I, I kind of get what you mean. And someone tweeted me before the game and uh, said that they felt in terms of tempo and stuff he can maybe bring that down a little bit because he's he's looking for those cute intricate passes which is maybe a little bit more um uh, beneficial when when you're playing against a, a team who do um put bodies behind the ball and, and Norwich do enjoy the lots of the ball I remember against Birmingham earlier on this season where he played in that kind of uh, deeper midfield role as opposed to a 10 and and looked a, a lot better so yeah I, I think it would need someone else to step up rather than than him to drop off I, I just think in terms of balance at the moment he's he's quite important um, and then of course you've got the option like they did yesterday where maybe they got themselves far enough ahead and the game was as Paddy said a bit of a runaway train and you need to calm it down a little bit they've now got the options on the bench where they can do that and manage games a bit more effectively so I don't think it's as much of an issue as maybe it was uh, again two three weeks ago but um, let's be let's be frank. It's if he does want to keep those, that that shirt, then performances are going to have to improve. Of course, there's a a contract situation to be resolved as well, so no doubt he'll he'll want to be playing for that. So there's plenty to play for for Mario Vrancic. Um, but yeah, I, I personally would like to see a little bit more from him from an attacking sense. Um, otherwise, I, th- I think it's fairly inevitable that at some point he he will dip out and and it'll be Kieran Dowell or, or Marco Steepman that that takes his place. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because his contract situation, of course, um, Stuart Webber told Pad that they are going to have uh, a chat with Mario Vrancic and Alex Tetty and Michael McGovern about potential new deals. So um, they'll uh, see how things develop, develop with that over the rest of the season. Uh, he's in his fourth season now, isn't he, Mario Vrancic? So he's been here for, been here for a while, been here the whole time that uh, Praka has. Uh, so... This kicks off a really busy spell. And what we've just talked about in terms of that strength and depth and all those players being available could be really crucial because 
We've got midweek games all the way through until mid-March here. Uh, they go to Coventry Wednesday night. We'll come to you on that in a minute, Pad, because obviously they're your, your hometown team. Uh, then Rotherham at home next Saturday, Birmingham away the following Tuesday and Wickham away the following Saturday. And then that big game, which we trailed uh, ahead of this one, which is looming on the horizon, Brentford at home. Wednesday, March the 3rd, which could be a titanic clash if things go well for both teams between then and now. So, Kov, Pad, they, they seem to have tailed off a little bit. Lost at, lost at Cardiff this weekend. I, I appreciate you obviously don't get to keep up with them 100% because you, you, your head's always in Norwich City stuff. But um, they're, they're only just above the relegation zone, aren't they? They seem, seem to have tailed off a bit from, from that early spirit they've shown. Yeah, one win in six now since, since that FA Cup defeat where... You know, I saw, I saw um, relative to Norwich. I saw obviously now probably not so, but you know when they Norwich was struggling a little bit prior to Stoke. You know, was it because of the approach they took at Barnes in the FA Cup and that almost stalled their momentum in the league a little bit? And whether you know whether you could apply the same accusation to Coventry because let's be honest, they were very poor here at Car Road. You know, game was over really with that two goal burst inside the first sort of ten minutes or so that day in that third round tie, and then since then, like I say, one win in six. They've got McCardiff yesterday under new management, of course, Mick McCarthy and um, well beaten. They were 3-0 down. They've got a late consolation. I see Josh Murphy actually scored for Cardiff. So it looks, looks like he's getting a bit more action under McCarthy than he did under Neil Harris. Um, but yeah, you look at the league table and, and really if Sheffield Wednesday didn't have the points deduction from the start of the season, they, they if not in the bottom three, then they're, they're very close to it. So newly promoted, well, promoted club last season. Um and the aim would have been to stay in the championship. And they looked like at one point they were going to do that fairly comfortably. Uh, Mike, Mark Robbins is a very good coach um, and they have a very clearly defined style of play, uh, not too dissimilar to Norwich in many regards, but they are finding it quite tough. And, and maybe that you know lack of championship now is beginning to catch them out a little bit. I mean, relative for Norwich fans, I see Sam McCallum's playing regularly, played 80 minutes again yesterday. Um and that's good from a sort of development point of view with Norwich, but it, it just underlines if, because clearly Norwich in terms of Sam McCallum felt he wasn't quite a ready first team option for them, but at Coventry he's playing every week. So it tells you the relative le- the sort of expectations of the squad and the, the ability in the squad maybe. Uh, so it won't be easy for Norwich, but, but clearly I think, you know, they should have enough about them given everything we've discussed so far on the pod to, to have too much for Coventry. I think, I mean, it, you know, Coventry, for me, is they'll probably be looking at Norwich as a bit of a free hit in terms of, you know, they always say, don't they, the teams down the bottom, it's the games around the teams they play, um, which are going to define where they finish up in this season. And for them, it is all about staying up. I've actually just got the fixtures for them. they got Norwich midweek, and then lo and behold, they host Brentford on Saturday. So that is a very, very tough week if you're Mark Robbins. And... But believe it or not, the following week, following midweek, they go to Swansea. So basically, Coventry's next three fixtures are Norwich, Brentford at home, Swansea away. Um, that is a very, very difficult. So I've really dis- distressed myself looking at those fixtures from a Coventry point of view <laughs> because it, it's conceivable they don't get any points and they are in the bottom three when they go to Blackburn at the end of February. So, uh, you know, from a Norwich perspective, they will look at it and think, you know, this is a team who yes, could cause us one or two problems, but aren't in a very, very good vein of form and really aren't probably going to have too much confidence around them as well. So I think for Norwich, go there, be professional, and they should really uh, be looking to come away with a win for me, I think. Ouch. 
good luck Coventry. <laughs> but yeah. after Wednesday night, of course. Um, yeah, that means we're going to St Andrews twice in seven days as well, doesn't it? Uh, to play Coventry Wednesday night and then Birmingham the follow Tuesday. So, Connor, in terms of that little run of fixtures and what we've just been through as well, just finally to wrap up the pod, it feels to me like that, that little bad spell, the little dry spell has just been a really helpful reminder in terms of everyone just not getting carried away, of just checking your expectations a little bit, trying to take it a little bit more game by game because Norwich have got an opportunity here, haven't they? Playing um, Coventry, Rotherham, Birmingham, Wickham. They're all not doing particularly well. But if, if anybody, if any Norwich fan is going into any of those four games and thinking that Norwich is just going to roll them over, then they have not been paying attention to this season, have they? Beyond the fact that this is the most unprecedented season, certainly of the modern era, but possibly ever um, outside of, you know, um, being paused for World War Two and things like that. Um, the, the championship is always incredibly difficult. This year it's been even more tight and even more difficult. And... The one thing you know is that if Norwich can nail it, if Norwich can play as well as they can play, then they can beat anyone at this level. But if they're just a little bit off it, anybody can upset them. Yeah, particularly those teams at the bottom around this time of the season. Um, look at what Rotherham have done in recent weeks where they've picked up some some really big form. And of course, they, they travel to Carroll Road on Saturday, don't they? So, yeah, you're right. If there's even an extra percent that they're off it or they're not quite in top gear, then these teams will will capitalise if anyone thinks that going to Adams Park to, to play Wickham on a Sunday afternoon is, is going to be um, a, a stroll, a, a nice gentle afternoon for Norwich, then they're, they're mistaken, I think, given what we saw in, in the home game and how well Wickham played that afternoon. So there's there's never anything that can be taken for granted. And, and you're right, all the cards are there for Norwich. They have pretty much a full squad. They've got the quality. They've got um, Timu Puki back amongst the goals. Everything looks, looks very positive, but... Um, you're right, sometimes these teams um, at the bottom, where they are fighting for their lives, are often more dangerous than those teams in the middle. I, I look at maybe a side like Bristol City at the moment who, who are sinking like a stone and their season is pretty much done. I think in many ways you'd much rather play a team like that than than maybe like Norwich have, what is it, um, four of their, of their next four against teams in the bottom five. So it's, it is a good run of fixtures in terms of league standings and, in, and and a good opportunity for them to stamp their authority on on this promotion race and prove that those who were writing them off in their last week were were very wrong. Um, but equally, they have to maintain those levels. And that's why an attacking performance like that yesterday was probably more important because they're now going to face four sides that will look to be a, bit, a lot more resilient and a lot more stubborn and make life a lot more difficult. So if they were going into this game having just um, endured another 90 minutes of not scoring a goal and of being frustrated, then the next four fixtures maybe wouldn't necessarily pose the um, the same joy that, that maybe they will now. So you're right, it is difficult. You can never take the championship for granted. And uh, I, I wrote last week, if the moment you think you, you've cracked the division, it catches you with a blow on the chin. And that's kind of what it feels like. And, and who knows, maybe Brentford will get that when they play Barnsley today or whatever. It it happens to everyone. It's a, a really good humbling division and um, Norwich City will learn that. And, you know, I, I, I think I said after the Cardiff game, if there was going to be a dip for Norwich, it would come in the next six six games because of the fixtures. This on paper looks a lot kinder, but as you've said, rightly said there, in reality, I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, and to, just to continue that train of thought, Pad, to, to close the show, um, if they do take a good haul of points from this next four games, 
as they probably should if they do uh, if they do the business, then they would have 13 games remaining going into that Brentford match and they would be in a fantastic position, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just actually just calling up Swans. I'm interested now with where, where Swansea go. I mean, they've got Forrest midweek. Chris Ewan seems to have got them certainly solid. Yeah. Um, not not beyond the realms that they could get something at Swansea. Certainly make it difficult for Swansea and frustrate them. Um, out Swansea, Swansea, to be fair, the way they've set up this season. Huddersfield away, Coventry, and then Bristol City at home. So as much as we're talking about Norwich on paper, have a favourable run of results, that, that doesn't look too onerous to me if you're Swansea. And I, I, I won't look at Brentford, but I, I just think, yeah, that, that's the reality is now. Stuart Webber said last week, we're probably four or five games away from actually defining it as the run-in. So, still feels it's a little bit too early to, to more or less detach those three from the rest and say, right, you lads, fight it out for the automatics. But you look at the points differentials there, not only to, to Norwich to seventh, which is 18 points, is it? But even Norwich to like fourth place team now, you know, that, that that's a lot of points to start overhauling with the games running out. I mean, we get, you know, we're getting into mid-February now. So, um yeah, let's see where we are after this batch of games. But but if Norwich are you know top or second after this batch of games, then I think they're set fair for you know the official run in. And and given a little bit of luck with injuries, I'll just repeat what I said. I think Norwich squad will be good enough to get them in the top two. Whether that's good enough to win the title or not, I'm not sure. But um, you just think that, that it looks like we've come through this little bit of turbulence, come out the other side with a good result yesterday. Follow that up against Coventry and Rotherham. And then, you know, the clouds have lifted and it's blue skies and, and and let's see if they other two teams can go with them because I think Norwich will only get stronger from here with with more players available, more options. Confidence starting to surge back through the team, scoring goals. Buendia is so important. Keep him sort of fit, firing and, and focused and on the right path. Let's see what Brentford and Swansea have got. Certainly Brentford don't look like they're going to be running out of steam, but, you know, the championship did funny things to them towards the end of last season when they blew up pretty spectacularly. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be rushing to say that they're going to be over the hill and far away. I think it's going to be very tight between now and the end of the season. Um, I saw a lot, funny enough, just popped into my head. I've seen, I see Palace being linked with Steve Cooper, the Swansea manager. So, you know, possibly if, if that is the case and that's some, something in the background moving forward, you know, that's, those type of distractions you don't need around a group because he inevitably will be having to probably field questions about the Palace job and so on. Um, and, and he won't want that, I'm sure. But there's so many variables and so many moving parts. And I think ultimately we just have to back Daniel Farker and Stuart Webber that they've constructed a squad which is good enough when the dust settles, however many games left to play, that Norwich have enough points on the board. And I frankly think they probably will have. But, uh, but yeah, the Championship, if underlined in these last two or three games prior to Stoke take nothing for granted and certainly don't treat anything in the championship with disrespect because as Conor Riley says um, that's that's the right way to to end up uh, looking a bit silly as Leeds did two seasons ago you know when most people thought they were going to be the standout team and it didn't quite happen that way so just stay in the moment Coventry next go there perform as they did on Saturday that should be good enough to get a result and then just roll it on again that's all they can do
There we go. Cooper sounds like he would be a good replacement for Roy Hodgson as well. They're sort of defensive, well-organised manager, so you can see the sense in that. Um, I see David Wagner also being linked with the Bournemouth vacancy and Marco Silva, the former Hull and Everton boss as well. So it'd be interesting to see what they did. But, you know, as Connor mentioned earlier, Watford beating Bristol City 6-0. We're not even talking about them sort of being in the mix. So there's some good teams who are still going to be chasing hard as well. But, um, yeah, the first time Norwich has scored four goals in a league game in nearly two years since that 4-0 win over QPR in April 2019. And you think how many times Norwich scored four goals in that season. What, at Sheffield Wednesday, Swansea, Bolton, Millwall at home. So it's been quite a while, but it's great to, to, to see some goals going in at, at Carrow Road like that again. But the biggest achievement for me on Saturday was to uh, socially distance, of course, meet up with our photographer Paul Chesterton to do some all-important sticker swaps. Uh, we've both had a, a pile of swaps, which we uh, uh, swapped over because uh, I'm now down to nine stickers for the sticker books. I'm near, nearly there. Uh, if you're still collecting, well, they'll still be on sale for quite a while yet. Uh, pinkandshop.co.uk if you're still trying to finish off your book. But that'll do. Thank you very much for listening. Pinkin.com, of course, is the place to go for all the analysis and reaction from that win over Stoke. And we'll soon be turning our attentions to the build-up to the game at Coventry, which is a seven o'clock kickoff on Wednesday night. As ever, you can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. But for now, thank you very much for listening and stay safe. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.